This is the Generations Broadcast. Kevin Swanson, your host with you. Steve Vaughn also on this edition. And one of the most significant developments in politics in the Western world is this H.R. 8404, Disrespect for Marriage Act, which will no doubt bring about persecution against Christians across this country. The trajectory is set. Lawrence v. Texas, Obergefell, the Bostock Supreme Court decision, and now, H.R. 8404, Disrespect for Marriage Act, the trajectory is moving towards the persecution of Christian businesses, Christian churches, Christian schools across this country. And Steve, I can't see anything mitigating that at this point. I just, I just don't see anything stopping the trend. We are looking at the persecution of Christians at the hands of Nero. It's just happening. Yeah, we see it in, uh, we saw it in Canada a little bit that, because they're doing something that's similar. So when you take a look at Canada uh, and what they do, the uh, United States is going to follow. And, and so they're, they're putting pastors in jail if they speak out against homosexuality. And, uh, and that's, that's been going on for a while. The, the other pastor who went into jail because of the, the whole COVID thing, that, that was just something else. But in Canada, it is illegal, technically, in the church to speak out against homosexuality. And in, in Colorado, you, I, you know, I keep bringing this up because you brought it up the very first time, the whole Senate Bill 200. That was the old you know, bathroom bill, and you can't give out literature that would be offensive to homosexualities. It basically outlawed the Bible. And you yourself said, here's a Bible, arrest me. And that's precisely what's happened in Greece as well. Uh, one of Greece's most outstanding soccer players, probably the best in history of the nation of Greece, is uh, up for, I think, a year in prison for a Facebook entry of some sort, Yeah, uh, referring to Adam and Eve and discouraging the idea of transgenderism. So anyway, uh, you know, that's that's the trajectory set. H.R. 8404 is the Respect for Marriage Act, and the Republicans have finally achieved all the support they need to make this thing work. Uh, this will codify Obergefell and persecute Christians that don't wholeheartedly endorse sodomite marriage. And you're looking at 22% of Republicans in the House went for it. I think the number is 24% of the Republicans in the Senate now have supported it. Fox News opinion also all in favor of it, H.R. 8404. Um, apparently, this faux conservative news site, it's called Fox News, if anybody's heard of it. They carried an article from a South Carolina Republican congressperson, Nancy Mace, who endorsed the pro-homosexual bill as well. And now the Mormon Church endorsed it just last week. So Roman Catholic leadership still opposed, but not so with the Mormons. The Mormons have capitulated to it. No surprise at all that the Mormons are going for this kind of stuff. This, this is what the Mormons are about. They want to, quote unquote, preserve the rights of our LGBTQ brothers and sisters. That's their goal. Now, Tony Perkins is very concerned. Tony Perkins is from the Family Research Council. And he's been studying this. He's been studying, he's been watching this for years. And this is what Tony Perkins says. Not only is this language light years more radical than the justices ruling seven years ago, that's Obergefell, but it's going to crack down on parents, charities, 
adoption agencies, teachers, Christian schools, counselors, Bible-believing professionals. The government would be declaring open season on anyone who believes in marriage as it's always been the union of a man and woman. So that's Tony Perkins from the FRC. He's very upset about this. He says, uh, what will it say in two more years if Americans are considered fair game by the Justice Department for their views on natural marriage? Under this bill, they're sitting ducks, prime targets for government investigation, prosecution, even civil action. H.R. 8404 is a stick of dynamite that, in the hands of the left, would supercharge the attacks, the marginalization, the oppression of people of faith, and anyone who believes in marriage as human history defines it. So that's Tony Perkins. Senate Democrats insist the threat to religious freedom that held up the bill this summer has been fixed. That fix, which is a few flimsy statements clarifying that institutions won't be forced to perform actual wedding ceremonies, does nothing to resolve the hammer that legislation takes to everyday people. It doesn't protect the worker who doesn't want to be coerced to celebrate LGBT Pride Month. It does not protect the parent who says, I don't want my children indoctrinated with this abominable curriculum. If anything, the misnamed Respect for Marriage Act will accelerate the persecution that we've seen the last seven years to a level no one ever dreamed. Tony Perkins, FRC. Wow. Wow. That's pretty strong. Now, here's the point I want to make. We're losing. And, and we will lose this. Why? Most Christian pastors and most Christian leaders across this country are deathly afraid to stand against homosexuality. The demonic force is too strong for them. A Christian leader stands up and takes a position against evolution, and he gets support from a lot of his Christian friends. He stands up and takes a position against abortion. He'll get support from all kinds of friends. He stands up and takes a position against homosexuality. No way. No way is he going to get support from any of his Christian leader friends. Not going to happen. The demonic force is just too strong. Christian leaders are deathly afraid. I mean, deathly afraid of homosexuals. Now, I think it's a true case of homophobia. You know, the term homophobia is developed by homosexuals, but it was really homosexuals calling it a fear of the sin of homosexuality. That if anybody was opposed to homosexuality as a sin, anybody was, you know, taking a position, a moral position against the sin of homosexuality, they were automatically afraid of the sin of homosexuality. And that, of course, was a total ruse, a total lie. Nobody's afraid of the sin of homosexuality. What Christian pastors have, though, is a fear of homosexuals. They're afraid of the homosexual infested media. They're afraid of the homosexual infested court system. They're afraid of offending people. They're afraid of calling sin, sin. It's one, it's one thing to stand up in a classroom and say, you know, guys, I just want to say to everybody that God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. Okay, you do that in college <laughs> classroom. Everybody's going, oh, that's great. Uh, thank you, Joe Schmo. That's encouraging. Thanks for the encouragement. But, <laughs> but you stand up and you say, you know what? We've all sinned against a holy God. And if you sin the sin of homosexuality, if you sin the sin of sexual fornication, if you, if you are addicted to pornography, uh, friends, you are risking hellfire. And here's what you need to do. You need to repent of that sin. You need to turn to Jesus Christ as Savior, that he will save you from that sin today. What's going to happen at that point? They're going to kick you out, man. They're going to kick you out. Where where are the rocks I can throw at this guy? Yeah. Yeah, they are going to cancel you in one way or another, and they won't want you to ever work or speak again. Yeah, Jesus offended people who didn't want to call sin, sin. And of course. We're talking about not the publicans, but the Pharisees. We're not talking about the publicans. Yes, we are sinners. 
yes, God have mercy on me, a sinner. We're talking about proud gays, talking about proud homosexuals, hypocritical, pharisaical homosexuals who are sugarcoating their dreadful sins of homosexuality, maybe adultery, divorce, et cetera, et cetera. And that's precisely the people that Jesus went after. He went after these hypocritical Pharisees <laughs> who were sugarcoating their dreadful sins of adultery, divorce, refusing to care for their elderly parents and grubbing for money and all the other sins that Jesus addresses in Matthew 5, Matthew 15, Matthew 23. They were hypocritical Pharisees that didn't want to admit to their gross and vile sinfulness. And so he brought it out into the light. Woe unto you, Pharisees, pointed out their sinfulness, say that they were in bondage to sin. They were in bondage to the devil. He points that out. And of course, they were reaching for the rocks to throw at him when he did that. And that's why they killed him. They didn't kill him because he stood up and said, I just here to tell you all that God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. (laughs) No, no. They killed him because he told them they were sinners. And that they were gross sinners and that they were in bondage to sin and in bondage to the devil and they needed salvation. That's why they killed him. They killed him because it convicted them of sin. He said they were liars. He called them hypocrites. He pointed out their sins, their violations of the law of God. And there were these self-righteous hypocrites and homosexual types who didn't want to admit to their very egregious violations of God's laws. And that's why the Jews, the Pharisees, were reaching for the rocks to throw at Jesus and to kill him. Now, most Christian leaders, they just can't stand up on this issue. Here's my question. Where is the ERLC on this one? Where's the Southern Baptist denomination standing up against the Disrespect for Marriage Act? I I, I haven't seen them. Now, maybe they've said something. I don't know. I I did a search on the internet for it just the other day. Couldn't find it. The Mormons have endorsed the legislation. That doesn't surprise me. They endorsed polygamy a number of years ago. Now they're capitulating to homosexuality and embracing the Disrespect for Marriage Act. The Mormons, of course, were the first to come up with the Utah Compromise, a bill intended to persecute Jack Phillips for not supporting the abomination of homosexuality. That was two years ago. And, of course, the Coalition of Christian Colleges and Universities, CCCU, jumped on board with that. Uh, Friends, these Christian leaders see the gay board coming, and they, they don't want to stand against it. They run and they hide. But if the pastors won't stand up, what do you think the Republican senators and Republican House reps are going to do? That's right. They're going to flip-flop. Those who forsake the law praise the wicked. But such as keep the law, contend with them. And this is the issue. The Christian church in America has forsaken the law of God, which means they've forsaken the definition of sin, which means they are denying the truth that Jesus came to save us from our sins, the very gospel message they purport to teach. They have denied the law of God. They've forsaken the law of God. They praise the wicked. And they've forsaken the definition of sin. And that, my friends, is why the church in America has been so weakened. Well, we're going to talk a little more about these issues. We're going to bring the Word of God to bear on more issues in just a moment on the Generations broadcast. Stay with us. You know, busyness has a way of creeping into our lives. As dads, it can leave us longing for moments of one-on-one time with our sons to simply talk. And those moments can be tough to come by. I get it. That's one of our top goals for our annual summer father-son retreat in the Colorado mountains. 
to provide quality time for you to connect with your son. Can you think of anything more important for your schedule next year? If you are looking for an opportunity to bond, to really bond with your son, then join me, Kevin Swanson, and hundreds of other fathers and sons from across the country next August. But be sure to register soon because we max out the camp every year and we're already filling up. Go to coloradofatherson.com today and choose one of the two weekends available before they are full. Lord willing, I will be there and it will be a great opportunity to meet you and your son. This is your chance to secure the lowest price for this event. So go to coloradofatherson.com and register today. And we're back on the Generations Radio Broadcast. Kevin Swanson with you. And this is a very important factoid. The United Nations now estimates the number of people in the world has crossed 8 billion as of November 15th, so last week. 8 billion people in the world. And my dad called me on this. And he was pretty excited about it. He says, you know, that's uh, four times the world population when I was born back in the 1930s. That's pretty amazing. So it's, it's gone from 2 billion to 8 billion. In just, what, 85 years. Yeah. These things are getting out of control, Steve. We, we, we need population <laughs> control now. Uh, I mean, the whole world is going to have to use abortion, abortifacients now. I mean, you, know, you know what people are saying, right? You've heard it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's what they're saying. But, uh, yeah, it, it, it's, it's kind of funny because I, I had this response twice. I only thought I would ever get it once. But way back when we first had Ashley, um, that I had a nurse that I was working with, and she asked me, you know, how many kids are you wanting to have? And I said, I want to have as many as possible. I, I was hoping for 10. God gave us six. And she was saying, well, no, no, I mean, population, population, and that, uh, you know, we're, we're overpopulated. And one of the things that I said to her was, look, I mean, at that time, this was 30 some years ago, at that time, I said, we could fit the entire population of the world into the state of Texas. There would still be, plenty, you know, 1,500 square feet per person. There'd be plenty of room for parks and all of that. The rest of the world would be able to, you know, be used for growing food and all of that. And her response was, why would everybody want to live in Texas? Yeah. And <laughs> You're right. You know, you're right. I, you know, I'm totally off yeah. base, but no, I mean, the, the world could sustain, I mean, we could handle it, you know, tens of billions of people, mm-hmm. not just eight. Yeah. I think, you know, 20, 30 billion people, we could, we could have the world not be fully populated. That and it's point. hard to imagine God's in the heavens going, oh, I didn't plan for this. <laughs> yeah, you know, I mean, yeah. come on. He's the creator. He's sovereign. <laughs> he knows what's the, happening throughout the history of the world. He has got a world that can sustain this kind of thing. And there's a point at which we know there will be a new heavens and new earth. I mean, th- that's the way the story ends. So we don't know when the story ends, despite you know theories that people bring out. Some people believe it could be another three thousand years. Some people say ten thousand years. Some people say forty-seven years. <laughs> Some people yeah. are less specific than that, as in myself. But I, <laughs> do you still know God's in control? And God certainly has designed a world that can sustain the kind of growth that uh, that he has planned for this world over a period of some 6,000 years, now going on 7,000 years. So here's one more factoid. Average crop yields for corn crops have increased from 30 bushels per acre to 1920 to 150 bushels per acre in 1999. 
And some areas of the U.S. have achieved as high as 500 bushels of corn per acre. Uh, I mean, that's phenomenal. Wow. That's 20-fold what they got back in the 1920s. So, and 95% of that goes to fuel. Well, well yeah. And here's, here's the <laughs> other thing. Somebody say, well, that's just corn. Well, no, let's yeah. talk, look at everything. Let's look at the gross world product in 1930. The gross world product per person in 1930 was $2,500 per person. In 2022, the gross world product per person is 11250 per person. That's an increase of four to five-fold. So as the world population increased four-fold, the, the comfort level, the, 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 the standard of living to which the average person lives has increased four to five-fold, which means that Thomas Malthus got it wrong. So we, we finally got the data. <laughs> Thomas Matthews got it wrong. Thomas Matthews was a curate, a pastor at Oakwood Chapel in the parish of Walton, uh, Surrey in England. And, you know, you remember Thomas Matthews. He had this stupid yeah. theory that has influenced the whole world. That's why environmentalism, that's why birth control, that's why, you know, a third of the world's population to a half of the world's population has been eliminated by abortion and by the abortifacian since 1960. So there's a reason for that. Thomas Matthews is, is key. Thomas Matthews has huge influence on Margaret Sanger, who brings out the birth control pill and the other abortifacients in the 1960s. Thomas Malthus was a curate as a pastor in England, and he, his theory was this. Now listen, population growth increases exponentially, but the growth of the food supply is linear. Okay, let me go back to the crop yields for corn. Okay. Do I need to go back to the crop yeah. yields for corn? Do I have to go talk about the gross world product per person? While the world population increased fourfold, the gross world product increased about 20-fold, and the gross world product per person increased four to five-fold. So we're living four to five-fold more high off the hog than we were in the 1930s. Well, turns out Malthus was wrong. Got it wrong. Yeah. Paul Ehrlich's wrong, the population bomb. I mean, he he thought that we could only sustain, what, about a billion or two billion, and that we that's the ideal population of the world, I think he said, was somewhere around a billion, and we're eight times that. And the, the reason that there's famine and starving is mostly because of government regulations and mandates and corruption. It's not because we don't have enough food. We got enough food in the world. It's just that governments are corrupt. That's why people are starving. Sure, if government got out of the way in Africa or South America or parts of Asia, if government would just get out of the way, what would happen? I mean, amazing. If, if there'd be less graft, way less graft in Mexico, Mexico has, I, th I think I figured, about 10 times more uh, of an ability to, to produce food off of its country land than it is producing right now, at least tenfold more. They could get at least tenfold more, and I'm sure they could get much more efficiency per acre. But uh, but if you look at Google Earth flying over the border between Texas and Mexico, what do you see? You see green on the side of Texas, and you see brown on the side of Mexico. Okay, yeah. I'm done. That's it. That's all you have to do. Just do Google Earth, and you'll see that those nations in which there's a measure of freedom do way better than those nations in which it's nothing but corruption graft, the breaking of God's law, and there hasn't been much discipleship of the nations going on there. Now, a couple other factoids that are helpful on this. More than half of the world's population is concentrated in just seven countries. India, China, United States, Indonesia, Pakistan, Nigeria, Congo, 
and Ethiopia. That's more than half the world's population, just seven countries. And the other 200 wow. countries are distributed over the other 50% of that population base. About 70% of the growth to eight bill, from 7 to $8 billion happened in sub-Saharan Africa. Okay, 70% of the last billion came from sub-Saharan Africa. One more time, 70% of the last billion <laughs> peoples in the world came from sub-Saharan Africa. And that trend is only going to increase over the next number of years. Now, yeah, here, China's in trouble. here's where I want to end this thing. The world is going to have to go through some pretty gigantic overturning in the next 10 to 30 years. The West is in apostasy. We know that God's blessing that came by Christian culture on economy is pretty much gone. We've corrupted our economy, our governments, our educational systems, our culture beyond repair. That's where we are in the West. China, India, Pakistan, Indonesia have not been adequately discipled. Indonesia, India, and Pakistan are persecuting Christians more than ever before. And China's doing the same thing. China has a long, large Christian population, but the strong arm of communism has not been spent yet for that country, and communism is getting its second wind. In sub saharan Africa, also, that's being taken over by Muslims, and Christian discipleship is extremely weak. In places like Nigeria, Congo, Ethiopia, etc., the governments are extremely corrupt, and there is very little Christian discipleship that's really happened. Christianity in Africa is a mile wide and an inch deep, not good. South America is going through a massive pink wave with communism taking over almost every nation across that continent. Now, the world is going through a tough period of time, even as it has gone through some tough periods in time past. Much like Luke 22, they shall fall by the edge of the sword, shall be taken away captive, etc., etc. There shall be signs in the sun and the moon and in the stars and upon the earth, distress of nations with perplexity. The seas and the waves roaring, men's hearts failing them for fear and for looking after those things which are coming on the earth, for the powers of heaven shall be shaken. So there are periods of time in which both heaven and earth are shaken in order that that which cannot be shaken may remain. So Luke 22, I think, does present a picture of a worldwide crisis. Now, I, I want to end with this. How do we face a worldwide crisis? Okay, a couple things. Number one, it's okay to get out of the line of fire. That's what Matthew 24, Luke 22 is all about in the case of AD 70. Okay, so we get that. It's okay to get out of the line of fire. We talk about that from time to time. Number two, be patient, endure, wait upon God. These world-shaking events only last so long, usually anywhere from five to ten years, maybe 20 years. The, the Nazi problem in, in Netherlands was, was over in about seven or eight years. Tough times, though. Take full advantage of every worldwide crisis to preach the everlasting gospel, the fear of God, the holiness of God, the sovereignty of God, the sinfulness of man, the powerful redemption of Jesus Christ. Don't waste a minute of the crisis. Now, if you hark back to the Nazi nightmare, which I think could very possibly occur, except more on a worldwide basis, I reviewed the literature of Corey Ten Boom, Richard Wormbrand, Diet Eman, others, things we couldn't say. Uh, mm -hmm. Etc. There's some really good books on this, and let me just—I I just want to leave our listening audience with this because I think this is encouraging. We we get through these times. Christians get through these times. How do we get through these times? Deet Eman writes that part of my life was very very difficult, but they were very special times. Times when I was very close to God, so close that I not only knew that He kept His promises, but I actually experienced His faithfulness. 
Okay, so so we look forward to the future. We look forward to trials and tribulations. Did I just say that? I think I did. Okay. <laughs> I think you did. Uh, Corey Tim Boom, <laughs> Richard Wormbrand also write, the power of love and forgiveness comes through in a remarkable way in the darkest days. When evil has the upper hand, apply the Psalms. Pray the Psalms. There will never be a time in your life where the Psalms have such relevance as when you're going through the valley of the shadow of death, as when you're going through the trials of your life. Also, don't be afraid, but rather believe. Remember, it was Richard Rembrandt who said as he was arrested for that first time, 365 references in Scripture to fear not. 365 references to do not be afraid, but rather believe. So the fear of man is to be utterly rejected at every single point. And if we at this point are fearful of governments, fearful of the gay Borg, fearful of this or that, oh no, oh no, not for a single moment. The fear of man is a snare. You cannot afford to be afraid for even a minute. Now, also, you must not be silent. You must speak up which is exactly what Richard Wormbrand did in the prison, out of the prison. He was released immediately back on the streets, back to evangelism, then arrested again, back in prison for an additional five to six years. Okay. So you must not be silent. You must speak up. Absolutely. All the way through it. Find security in the midst of radical insecurity, peace in the chaos of war and insanity, which can only come by the peace of God, which passes all understanding. Here's number nine. Rely upon the Holy Spirit to give you the words you need to say in the most intense moments of your life. Don't over-prepare for the moment of your most intense need. Number 10, this is it. Memorize Scripture and have it ready to go. Pray more than you've ever prayed in your life. Pray with others. Pray through the battle and pray right now. The sooner you get into a habit of prayer, the sooner you get into a habit of meeting with the people in your church at least once a week, in addition to the Sunday morning service, ideally two, three, four, five times a week, the sooner you get into a pattern in which you're praying with others in the body two, three, four, five times a week, friends, the better, the more you will be prepared for what is to come. And I would encourage you to these books. We, uh, we handle these books uh, at generations.org. We've got the, uh, the video Tortured for Christ. Uh, we've got uh, Corrie Ten Boom's book, The Hiding Place. And other references as well, Fox's Book of Martyrs, all of that available at our website, generations.org. Boy, if there was ever a time that you need to get these books and read them out loud to your children, it needs to be right now. This, I believe, is the time to be prepared for what is to come. You can grab these critical resources at our website, generations.org. This is Kevin Swanson inviting you back again next time as we continue to lay down a vision for the next generation.